Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. My special guest today is the CIO of one of the largest health systems in the country, and he talks about the four distinct personas that they're targeting with their digital engagement programs. He talks about data and analytics, about the need for a robust technology infrastructure, and he offers some advice on how to engage with young, innovative startups. Let's jump right in. And before we get into the conversation, a quick shout out to our partners and sponsors, Biwa. I am thrilled to be here with Adam Landman. CIO at Mass General Brigham, MGB, in Boston. Adam, such a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Thank you so much, um, Patty. It's an honor to join your podcast and um, be able to talk to you and your um, listening community. Wonderful, wonderful. So why don't we jump right in? Tell us a little bit about the populations that MGB serves. I know you're a big destination hospital in Boston, but you're also a very large health system. So Tell us a little bit about the populations you serve. Absolutely. So first, I actually want to address our name. And many of you may know us as Partners Healthcare. And Partners Healthcare is now Mass General Brigham. And this new name really more closely reflects our world-renowned hospitals that make up our system, namely Mass General Hospital and Brigham and Women's Hospital, which are really the foundation and heart of our healthcare system. And just at a high level, the Mass General Brigham vision is to build the integrated academic healthcare system of the future. And in that um, future vision, we have patients at the center transforming care, improving outcomes, and expanding our impact locally, nationally, and globally. We currently see about 1.8 million patients per year. We have 80,000 employees. Our inpatient capacity exceeds about 3,200 inpatient beds. What also sort of is unique about our system is our research enterprise. We really focus on really performing breakthrough innovations and translating those innovations to the world. We have about $2 billion in sponsored research, which includes over 2,700 clinical trials across our five academic medical centers. So that's MGH, Brigham, but also McLean Psychiatric Hospital, Mass Ioneer, and Spalding Rehabilitation. So really, all of that encompasses our academic mission and focus. That is a really comprehensive description of the organization. And thank you also for clarifying, because some folks remember Partners Healthcare, and now you're Mass General Brigham. So thank you for clarifying that the name change and the, and the branding as well. And of course, thank you for sharing the, the information about you know, just the size and scope and scale of the operation of NGB, which some of our listeners may not be very familiar with. So fantastic. Now, in your role as CIO, Adam, could you talk to us a little bit about what some of the top priorities are currently that you're working on? And this podcast is mostly about digital health and digital transformation. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the digital aspects of your role and your priorities. 
Thanks so much. And by the way, I may slip at times and say partners. And if I do, I really mean uh, Mass General Brigham. And I'll just add that I'm speaking today on behalf of an incredible team of colleagues that really enable us to do what we're doing in digital, but also in healthcare delivery overall. I want to acknowledge also that we're led by a new chief information and digital officer, my new boss, Jane Moran, and she has really helped us with our strategic planning and and prioritization, some some of which I'll share with you now. And our priorities really now center around experiences of our user groups. And this, we have not thought this way traditionally. And so this is a bit new for us. I really think it's the right strategy going forward. And the four groups that we're prioritizing are patients, providers, researchers, and employees. And we're really putting together a strategy for each of these groups that focuses on meeting their needs for with digital technology. And I'll share two examples of that. First, for our researchers, similar to other academic medical centers, we are focused on increasing, making available all of the the wealth of clinical data we have, making it more easily available to our researchers and using modern cloud technologies and platforms so that our internal researchers can use that data for approved research products uh, and projects. I'll also share for you for our providers or our care team, we um, have a lot of work going on to improve the care team experience. And I'll share with you one of our key projects is working on in-basket experience for our providers and for our patients. One of the best things about COVID was that we, like other healthcare organizations, saw a tremendous increase in the use of our patient portal. In fact, we almost during the last two years We've seen a doubling of the number of patients signed up for our portal, and we're also seeing more of those patients engage in using the portal, which is wonderful, and we absolutely want to encourage that. But we recognize that the system, the actual technology, and our workflows were not necessarily designed for the increase in message volume that we're seeing. And so I am working with colleagues across the organization really on approaches to improving the in-basket experience. And what's nice about the approach that we've chosen is that we've recognized that we really need a multidisciplinary team so that we need technology experts, so members from our digital teams, but we also need colleagues that can focus on policy as well as workflow and care redesign. And so we have work groups for each of these areas and we are all collaborating on How can we change levers in each of these areas to help improve the in-basket experience? And so just at a high level, some of the things we've done is we have worked on removing non-value-add in-basket messages. So there may be duplicate notifications or excess notifications that aren't needed, and we're working to turn those off. We've also worked on the policy side to set expectations for how our portal should be used and with a specific emphasis on results review and response by the clinical care teams. And so gradually, we're working on making changes which we hope will improve the care team experience. It's so incredible. Firstly, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I like the clarity with which you've defined the four distinct stakeholder groups that uh, your digital programs are trying to serve. And I imagine that you're going to be, or you already are in the process of developing detailed personas, journey maps, those kinds of things. And I'm really struck by the fact that you picked a provider-focused experience as an example to talk about, which is the in-basket experience. And now, at my firm, we like to say that we cannot improve patient experience at the expense of the provider experience. And so, 
making sure that providers have all the time that they have that they can get their hands to do their jobs better. That's a really a fantastic example. What about the patient side of it? Can you talk a little bit about what are maybe one or two top priorities when it comes to improving the patient experience? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also want to emphasize, while I gave a provider example, we are focused on the full care team experience. And so even on the in-basket side, while there's an there's a focus on providers, we're also thinking about how do we improve the front desk workflows and some of our other care team members, how do we make that as efficient as possible? So we are looking across the entire care team. That example, I just happen to focus on providers. Thanks also for asking about the patient experience. We are working on our digital front door and really how do we make it easier for patients to interact with us and uh, get access to our services electronically. And so I think that's one of our one of our major priorities. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Lee Schwamm, is leading our efforts in that space. So let's talk, let's stay on our patients for a second. What are you hearing from your patients when it comes to the kind of digital experiences that they're looking for? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And I think many of our patients, they have a lot of expectations from us. I guess I can share a couple that I think are are some of the key things they want from us. First, they want a fast and convenient experience, right? They don't want to have to call us, wait on hold for long periods of time, be transferred to multiple different people to accomplish what they want. They want to be able to interact with us quickly and easily. And so that includes things like being able to schedule appointments quickly, check their test results, correspond with their care team, and do virtual visits. And so those are all components of functions that we are trying to make as easy as possible as part of our digital front door work. Second, and I think this is, you know, we do hear this from our patients, they are appropriately concerned about security and privacy. And so I think it's absolutely essential that everything we do with our patients, particularly from a technology perspective, we are making sure that it is as secure as possible and that we're doing everything we can to protect their privacy. Third is equity. And this is actually something that that our system has um, made a very significant commitment to. We actually have launched um, a United Against Racism campaign, which really sort of acknowledges and calls out that our system believes that racism is a public health issue. It impacts our patients, our workforce, and the communities we serve, and that we are taking actions as a system to dismantle systemic racism. And this has important implications in our digital work. And so just to give you a couple, a a little example or frame that, when we're talking about digital technologies, particularly for patients, we want to make sure that all patients have access to these services, especially these new digital tools. And so we're doing things like um, increasing access to interpreter services through virtual interpreter services. So if patients are doing virtual visits and they don't speak English, we can bring in interpreters into that encounter to actually have an interpreter help with with the patient communication. Another example is we have a team of digital access coordinators, and these are additional resources which can help our patients enroll in our patient portal. They speak multiple languages, and they take time to answer the patient's questions and help them get enrolled in our portal and use these services. Um, so those are a couple examples how we're addressing equity in our, in our patient experience. If I pick up on that point and that comment, I imagine that uh, Mass General, like many other organizations your size and scale, has a distribution of uh, the type of payers. Uh, you have Medicare, Medicaid, commercial, self-insured, 
young, elderly, the entire spectrum, I imagine. How do you design solutions for a population that is as diverse as this? And especially if you're looking at technology-enabled solutions, how do you make sure that you have the maximum coverage? You're just the greatest common denominator, if you will. Absolutely. That's a that's a really important question. And I would say I personally learned a lot about this during COVID because we recognized during COVID that we needed to design solutions. We needed technology to help us solve problems, right? Like how could we get make testing available to all our patients or vaccination available? We also recognized if we used very sophisticated technologies that may prevent some of our patients from accessing those services. And so as we think about our approaches, we bring in our experts so that our backgrounds in equity. So we have teams, we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion team. We bring those team members as part of our solutioning so they can help us and ensure that we are considering all of our patients' needs. And as we design solutions, we're really trying to design them so as many patients as possible can take advantage of those services. So for instance, we used quite a bit of text messaging, which we have found many, many patients, many of our patients, even our most vulnerable patients have access to, and in fact, like interacting with us over text messaging. So we're using a lot of text messaging and web-based tools, and we have found that those have been very, very successful. We also found that we had actually a rather sizable population that actually don't have cell phones and that we only had landline phones for. And so we actually used IVR tools and IVR with some additional AI capability to be able to offer those patients um, the ability to interact with sort of an AI agent and even schedule appointments for vaccination directly over a, a landline phone. And so I think we've sort of baked into our solutioning process the need to ensure that our base technology solutions reach as many patients as possible and where there are gaps that we then address those with other solutions, sometimes technology solutions, but also sometimes requires just additional outreach and additional focus in those areas. That is really illustrative and informative. Let's talk about the back end of it. What kind of technology foundation or enablement do you need to have in place to be able to deliver on all of these digital front door solutions to be able to recognize your patients, to understand their needs, to be able to cater to them. What kind of enabling platforms do you think are important? And could you talk a little bit about how you've gone about setting up that foundational infrastructure? Yep. So we absolutely think in terms of platforms. And this is something that Jane Moran has, has helped and shaped our thinking on. And so in an ideal world, we want to leverage our existing platforms as much as possible to meet needs. But we also recognize there are limitations to those platforms and need to consider other solutions. And so as we're thinking about patient experience, of course, our electronic health record is the core of that. And so we absolutely are leveraging our electronic health record. However, there are limitations to what that platform can do. And so we are also making investments in customer relationship management platform to help supplement our electronic health record. And we have made investments in additional tools, for example, chatbots that sit on top of our electronic health record and add some of these additional capabilities to interact with patients. We are in early stages of using some of these technologies, particularly the chatbots. And so we're really learning how well they work and for which use cases they work best for and for what patients and continuing to iterate and improve on those as we go. 
Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. So that's a great segue to my next question, which is around technology platform choices. You stated that you start with an EHR first, which is what a lot of other health systems do. It's a big investment and you know you want to get the most you can out of it. But you also stated that they can't be everything, they can't do everything. And so you have to have a, a strategy that involves other best-in-class tools, maybe standalone point solution, maybe other enterprise class platforms, or maybe build some things yourself. How do you approach these choices and are there things that you are intentionally keeping in-house? And what would those be? Here's how we are starting to think about this. In a, and, and actually, we're formalizing a process, which we're calling an enterprise architecture review, so that we have a formal process we go through when there is a new technology need to really consider which solution we use to solve that need. So first we are going to look at our existing enterprise platforms. So that may include our electronic health record. As we mentioned earlier, we're building out a CRM system, so that would be considered there. Certainly our HR and finance systems is a platform, and we would look, so we'd look to those major platforms first to solve requests that are coming in. Then if those major platforms don't solve the issue, we might look to an existing product that might be in use across our enterprise, because if we're already using it, Maybe we can extend that. Maybe it's actually already being used for this specific use case in another part of our organization. So we would look to sort of leverage that tool further. Then if there really is not a tool that we have or an existing platform that would work, that's when we'd look to another solution in the market. And ideally, there's a solution out there that we could just purchase and use. In some cases, we cannot find a solution that we can purchase and use. And that's where we would love to find partners who want to co-develop and work with us to shape their tool to meet our needs. We think if it meets our needs, it probably meets needs from other healthcare systems out there. And then finally, we can't find a partner. There's nothing out there on the market. That's when we would consider actually building the software ourselves. We do do that from time to time, but we really want to be have a really rational approach to when we're using those specialized resources. I will put a plug in. We did just write a paper on this, and I can share the paper with you. But for the listeners, we recently published a paper with a colleague, Jason Marwaha, was our first author on this paper. It was published in Nature Digital Medicine, and it really describes how do we look at bringing in new digital innovations into our organization and has a nice figure that summarizes nice, but probably much more articulately than I just did, our process that we use to look at new innovations and where which platform we're going to use or which technology we'll use. I have actually read that paper and I would strongly recommend it to all our listeners. If you, if you really want to understand how one of the leading health systems in the country is going about making digital health solution and platform choices, you certainly want to look at that paper. So back to the comment, Adam. So there is a lot of digital health innovation out there. There's billions and billions of venture capital money that's going into digital health solution. Thousands of digital health startups have been launched in the last few years. It can be quite confusing and can be quite risky to place your bets on one or more of these solutions. So I guess uh, a couple of questions on that. Uh, One, how do you go about at a very high level, you know, what are some of the 
maybe one or two rubrics that you use when you start evaluating these these kinds of uh, startup companies. And related to it, how do you make sure all of these solutions work well together? Because they're all building their own solutions. And then before you know it, you've got a landscape of solutions that don't necessarily talk well to each other. Can you talk to that as well? Thank you for that thoughtful question. I would just add that I feel really fortunate to have the opportunity to do some of this digital innovation. For many years, I oversaw the Brigham Digital Innovation Hub. Now I oversee a small team across the enterprise, our digital health innovation team. And we have been willing to make some investments collaborating with early stage startups to improve healthcare delivery. I want to add that probably the most important first step is identifying the problems that you want to solve and ensuring that there's not already a robust solution to it. Because if there is a robust solution, as you said, working with an early stage startup uh, can be really rewarding, but has a lot of risks to it as well. And so if there is an established solution that will meet the needs, you want to try to make sure you've looked at that solution first before you're looking at, at the new startups. That being said, there are so many new excites. First, there are so many challenges in healthcare, right? We don't have solutions to all of them. There's really exciting newer technologies that may be doing things faster, better, cheaper, that we absolutely want to pay attention to this space. But to your point, we want to have a rubric and a, and a way of approaching it. And so as some of our strategic work in this space, we are going to get actually, and this may sound like an antithesis for people who like to do innovation, we're going to actually add more process to how we look at our investments in early stage innovation because we want to be really systematic about it. And we really want to increase our chance for success that we're having when we're working with emerging technologies. And so we are going to try to proactively identify where are the problems that we want to try to solve. And then secondly, the sort of next step is to not be as opportunistic, but have a process we go through to really look at the landscape of startups critically and evaluate them. Really, in essence, what many of us are used to doing RFPs or RFIs, really go through that process with rigor, looking at the startups, trying to select the best partner. I'll just add one thing when you're working with startups and collaborating closely, which is exactly what we want to do. Often we look and pay attention to the team. We want to understand what is their experience, both on the technology side, but also what's their experience in healthcare and what is their leadership experience. And I would say overall, how well do we work together? Because when you work in this area, what we're really trying to do is work together to learn from each other and to pivot to try to find the right solution. And so both organizations need to be aligned on what's the problems that we're trying to solve and how are we going to adjust over time to do that? And you need to really make sure you've got the right team in place that's willing to make those changes. And so those are some of the things that I look for as we evaluate early stage companies to work with. And I continue to think that this is a really important area for us. I will just add that we also have an, a small investment fund now. We have about a $30 million AI and digital innovation fund. And it's we are specifically designed to be strategic investors. So this is reserved for early stage companies that we are working with, that we are partnered with in some capacity, and we will make moderate size investments at the series A and, and B levels in these partners. Yeah, that's really fascinating. The remaining time that we have, I want to cover a couple of topics. What specific capabilities or competencies 
do you think an organization like Mass General needs to keep in-house and build out as you sort of work with this ecosystem of technology partners that you're bringing on to serve your population? At the end of the day, nobody understands your population and their needs better than you do. No single technology provider is going to understand it as well as you do. But how do you bring it all together? What competencies do you think need to remain in-house for you to do this effectively? So it's a really good question. And actually, it's a question that we're trying to figure out. And I suspect many across the country are, are trying to identify. Maybe one context I'll share is that the unique components about healthcare are that we work in a mission-critical organization, right? That's 24-7, 365. So the technologies that we're deploying have to work, right? And we understand there will be some failures, some plans, some unplanned. And when they happen, we have to be able to respond very, very quickly. And so our traditional approach has been to, you know, insource all of our expertise, our infrastructure expertise, our service desk, and our platforms really have been insourced. We are like many, many organizations right now under significant cost pressures. And so we are starting to think about where we outsource. And I think the questions that we're trying to address, and I I don't have the answers yet, I welcome them from you or from others that may be listening, is we can't compromise on the quality and the service delivery aspect that we're providing, but we'd love to be able to find ways of being more efficient in how we deliver those services. And so we're still trying to identify if there are opportunities to outsource and where they might be. Yeah. Data and analytics. You mentioned your fund for focusing specifically on AI-enabled uh, solutions, you know, startups that are building AI-enabled solutions. What about the data and analytics infrastructure within Mass General? What kind of uh, infrastructure are you building? What are those co- competencies focused on? Is it on Healthcare outcomes, is it on the patient experience? Is it both? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so like other organizations, we are also investing in our data infrastructure. And importantly, we are investing in moving our data infrastructure to the cloud, right? So we have for many years had a very successful data lake, and we're now looking at what would it take to put that data lake into the cloud, make sure all of our data is available, ideally increase the amount of real-time data that's available, and then make it easier for internal users to access all of that data and use it to improve healthcare delivery. So there's infrastructure work going on to, to do that. What I will share with you is maybe a successful program that we're leveraging the data from these environments. And that's our active asset management program. This started at Brigham and Women's Hospital a number of years ago. And really the concept around the program is how do we make efficient or most efficient use of very high cost fixed assets like operating rooms is a good example. Mm -hmm. And so this program is really a program driven by operational leaders but that requires data and data analytics to power it. And so our analytics team at the Brigham, led by Rob Forsberg, pulled data from our electronic health record to start to show the utilization of ORs. And you can imagine they broke that data down by day, time, service, and they worked with the managerial leaders, including the the provider leaders, to kind of iteratively understand what data they needed to make management decisions. They got feedback on that, and they eventually created formal dashboards, you know, using Tableau and other tools to be able to display this data to the managers. And hospital leaders 
convene the right leadership stakeholders on a regular basis to review the data and importantly, make management decisions based on this data. So they might change staffing, reassign OR blocks, lots of other things, but based on that data. And so using the combination of the data that was available as well as management intervention, we were able to create more access for patients, which is great because they're waiting to have their procedures done. And there's also revenue opportunity for the hospital. And so we are now replicating this data and management system across um, Mass General Brigham and looking to use our you know, new cloud-based data infrastructure as we scale this. What a great example that is. You looking at the data in the electronic health record system to drive operating efficiencies through uh, improved usage of the operating room. So that's a fantastic example. Well, we're coming up to the end of our time, and I want to, uh, if you would, share a piece of advice or a best practice, one for your peers in the industry, especially smaller health systems that may not have the scale and the resources to do the kind of things that you're doing, and also a piece of advice for technology solution providers, especially innovative young companies that want to be a part of your journey. Thanks for the opportunity. I think the um, piece of advice that I will share and for health systems and for tech vendors as well is that I really appreciated this during COVID is that we need to be agile. And I know there's a lot of definitions of agile out there, including the very specific technology initiative, but I think most healthcare organizations, including mine, when we approach technology, we want the technology solution to be perfect. And so we often would spend months, if not years, planning projects, getting ready for the big implementation, you know, and then implementing. And of course, because we're talking about patient lives and patient safety, we absolutely still need to pay really close attention and to the details and need to plan these initiatives carefully. But what I have found and what we proved during COVID is that we can work in a different way where we break projects down into smaller components. We more quickly roll those out, even on the order of days or weeks where we roll something out and we very closely follow how that technology implementation is going and continue to tweak it over time, sometimes making changes every day in order to stabilize the system or correct issues that may have come up. And what I found during COVID is we built phenomenal relationships with our operational partners who were talking multiple times a day, working very closely with them and delivering technology in an extraordinary pace. There were some unique aspects of COVID, right? The whole world sort of stopped for COVID. We focused all of our digital and operational resources on it. And we also used a very different decision-making governance framework where we had incident command. What I'm now seeing is that we're going back to our old ways of working. And I hope that I'm trying very hard to find ways to find somewhere in the middle where we can be a little bit more agile and nimble and have these close relationships with our operational and technology colleagues and vendors so that we can move faster. Because I think what we're, we're starting to see is that our health systems have a number of challenges. They are only coming faster and technology is increasingly part of the solution for these. So we need to find ways of being responsive to all the demands coming to us and continuing to innovate. And so I think that this is kind of a, a huge opportunity for us as we think about how we work going forward. Uh, that's, that's a great message. Uh, embrace Agile. Uh, so basically, pace is accelerating, break it all down into smaller pieces, work iteratively, work in an Agile format, and start showing results. Like, 
that's a great message for both your technology vendors and for uh, for your peers in the industry. Adam, thank you so much. I, you know, I wish we could go on a little longer. Hope to have you back on the podcast and maybe talk some more and drill into some of the topics that we talked about. But uh, I want to thank you for taking the time and for sharing your insights and for sharing what you're focused on at uh, Mass General. And all the very best to you and your team. Patty, thank you so much. Appreciate the thoughtful questions and the opportunity to join. And hopefully I'll be able to come back and share some success and maybe even more interesting, share some of the challenges we encountered along the way. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, Bewell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions.